0: Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your
1: stay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Command Zone. This is episode number 33. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And And I'm Craig Blanchett. I just totally ran over your words. I'm so sorry, Craig. Dude, you are like a pro now. Yeah, I was going to do the, like, I'm the intro to this He's like, guys, I've been on the show 15,000 times.
2: <laughs> I will just introduce my damn self.
1: Yep, and Craig, you did it. So that's Craig Blanchett,
2: everybody, joining us on the show Co-producer, today. Co-producer, co-creator of Top Decking, the web series. Yeah. Um, I don't think we plugged that enough last time. I agree. We need to plug this show more. Yeah, if you play Magic then you will like a web series about Magic the Gathering. So definitely check it out. Uh, You can find it. Where can we find it,
3: Craig? On YouTube.
2: We should mention that we're teaming up with our sister podcast, uh, The Masters of Modern, and Craig, and the people behind uh, top-decking the web series and sort of creating uh, a new, I don't know, channel on on YouTube. And uh, we've got some other content in the works. There'll be more announcements about that soon. Keep your ears out.
1: So today's episode, again, is a question-based episode. We had so many great answers to this last week, uh, and also we're giving away prizes to everyone I don't know if our answers questions. were great, but the questions were the good. The questions were good, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll take a backseat on whether or not uh, tuning <laughs> our own horn here. Uh, but all of these lucky people, ask us questions on Twitter or over email, and we're going to answer them. And if you get your
2: question answered on air you get a prize you're a winner winner Ooh, winner winner now if you want to uh, actually receive your prize then when you hear your name on air you're gonna have to email us mm-hmm. at commandcast at rocketjump.com and give us your mailing address so that we can send you the cool stuff that's right uh so congrats to you guys all in advance and
1: i think it's time to ring the customary bell because you've won prizes bing
2: Woo. that's all our right, bell
1: that's it's the just bell bing! <laughs> i gotta say i
3: did see this stuff too and this stuff is awesome i am jealous of everybody receiving stuff for That's right bringing in their questions uh, as
1: we mentioned last week josh has brought the modern master's pack into the mix i've got an Instrad booster pack in the mix and we also have lots of cool just random foils random rares and Playmat. other booster, booster really, packs yeah really cool stuff. funko pop figures we still have a commander 2014 green deck although that may have gone out with the first
2: batch who knows who knows You'll know when you get it in the mail. That's right. Be I sure
3: when that. you get it to tweet out your uh, or Instagram out your yes. picture to us. Whoever
2: gets the Modern Masters pack, please show us the foil. Yes, goif. Yes, yes. Please yes. do. Let us know. And
3: the regular Goyf in the regular Mythic spot. They're going to get I mean, a yeah, Goyf and a foil
2: guy. Of course.
1: I'm going to say this. It happens are... like
3: one out of every three
1: packs. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> that is that's statistically what uh, statistically true. That's yeah. why I love statistics, guys. <laughs> uh, I will say though, and this is weird because it is truly random, but the pack that I've sent out, I've had some pictures come back with some oh, yeah. awesome polls. Some foil rares. We've got like oil rabble, rabble master. master. Yeah, it was pretty. Uh, the rabble master I don't think was foil, but the card is still like oh. over $10. So it's an awesome poll. All right. So let's get on to the questions for today and starting it off. And of course, we're going to have the lovely Abby Drake reading all of the questions as well. Bring a new uh, dramatic flair to the podcast that was not prior there. Actually, maybe it was prior there. Who knows? Uh, no. Ab- Abby <laughs> definitely brought it with her. It wasn't yeah. here before. That's right. And she's also introing, She's the person that's behind the intro and the finale of both this show and the Masters of Modern. So the first question is from John Belknap over email. And the question is,
0: How do I learn to expect when someone has an answer to my strategy and not get demolished when I go for the kill?
2: So this is called Reading Your Opponent. Yes. It's, a, it's more of an art than a science. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple things to look for. One is just open mana. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one is just open mana. The other is what color of that mana. And as you play more, you'll learn what colors are sort of to watch out for for specific types of things that you're doing. So yeah. if white is open, you may have to worry about board ri- wipes. If blue's open, obviously counter spells. Um, if, I don't know, red's open, then you, you have to worry about things that are damage-based Yeah, uh, more than just destruction-based. Uh, There's some destruction-based things, but that not like that artifacts. many. Yeah, if it's exactly. green, that's open. You don't have to worry as much. But maybe like enchantment removal could be green. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of times, if you see certain colors open, you know what you don't have to worry about. So yeah, yeah. So if you see only black mana available, you don't have to worry about getting
1: countered. And the other nice thing is that you're at the table with multiple players. Usually you're going to attack the person that you think has the least chance of demolishing you when you're going for the kill or whatever. Or just learn to not go for the kill and learn how to play around certain stuff. Especially if you're playing with people you play with before, you know what's in their deck.
2: I know? mean, if you're going for something like you've got Perforos on the table and you can cast Prosh and basically kill everybody, you just need to look for that window where it looks safe. And a lot of times that's going to mean not doing it at the first opportunity. Right. It's going to mean casting it at the time when these two players are tapped out and this right. other guy only has green mana available. Or you can tap out, or you won't tap out when you cast it, so you have another spell
1: that is a little insurance on top of that.
2: Right. You might draw out mm-hmm. a counterspell. You know, I do that a lot. It's like, well, I know that deck's a counter deck or it has a, quite a few counters, so I'll wait until I have two pretty good threats and I can actually play them both in one turn. Yeah. And then I'll play one of them and hope he counters that, and then I'll play the second one. And it's like, well, at least I get something out. Yeah, That's another way to go. The other thing to pay attention to is just people's eyes. And in Commander, it's very, very obvious because the board state's so complicated that you have to... It's really hard to be sly about what you're looking at. And the way that people are usually situated, like you have to turn your head fully to the left to see what that guy's got on his board and fully to the right to see what that guy's got on his. And you can sort of see who people are eyeing. And if you pay attention to that you can sort of tell like, well, this guy's worried about me, but that guy over there is not worried about me. So then that will sort of inform when you can act based on who is sort of being hyper vigilant about you and who's not.
3: If you've ever played poker before, commander's a lot like poker where you're playing the people, not so much, you know, you're playing their decks as well. But, you know, I would say like a literal way to answer this question is look at their lands first. If their lands are tapped out, That, you know, what's there left, you know, force of will or pact of negation or some variant of that. Um, And then look at their board. If they have an answer on the board, then obviously don't do anything. Um, But other than that, you know, then read their face. And if they look like they're, they're boned, then go for the kill.
2: Yeah. I think there are also times, you know, just keep this in mind. There are times where you just don't have any choice. So like you're at you got seven poison counters and the guy's gonna do something and kill you next turn for sure and it's like yeah my thing may get countered or it may get destroyed or whatever but if my only chance is if that doesn't happen then do it right definitely it's a
1: good question John all right moving on we got a question from Kristen Koch at, at Dune Echo on Twitter. And the question is, it, is... Oh, what?
2: No, I just... Had, there was a guy at my high school, and he spelled his last name K-O-C-H, but it was actually pronounced Cook, so I, I'm oh, not saying... Oh, you know
1: I think it actually is Coke or Cook. Yeah, so... Yeah, sorry, Chris, Uh. So the question is...
0: Just curious, but what are the most unique commander decks you've encountered?
2: Chromat? <laughs> Josh's five-color Chromat is definitely unique. It is very unique. Um... Eli, I'll shout out Eli, our our editor. He has a Dwarven deck. It's actually a Barbarian's deck because they have retconned all the Dwarves to Barbarians. But it is an all-Dwarf deck, Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like Um, Dwarves. I haven't actually seen it, but uh, when we had Brian David Marshall uh, on our podcast, he talked about a guy who had an all-white-bordered deck, which I think is awesome, and I want to build one really bad. And it offends some people to no end, which is great, too. I'm so mad about...
1: (laughs) <laughs> that offends me are you greatly. one of
3: those i have you're a, a bigot truth i know i've i've actually made a few of my decks all black bordered and to go all you white are bordered, one of
2: those i get it monster but Greg. it's you're one of those how can you you cannot keep the white border down man yeah all right hey are there enough good ones to make it work
3: <laughs> <laughs> this oppression will not stand I want to make it very clear that I am talking specifically about magic right now. No, no. I-
1: <laughs> hey, listen.
2: White-bordered cards are still cards. Yes. Right. They're, yeah.
1: They are people. No, they're not people. They're just cards. They're just little pieces of cardboard. Um, That's definitely unique. I think I've seen some... Uh, the Ashling deck I played is unique because, I, I mean, it's like it's a oh, variation yeah, Phil on. Phil from the Five yeah. Commanders podcast played a like deck. 95 lands and some.
2: 99 games. lands and an Ashling.
1: Yeah. Or in Phil's case, there's a few alterations in there. But, it's, it, you know, that is a unique deck to play because it's, yeah, it's a yeah. very interesting board threat to keep in mind that you're also just kind of not worried about. And that's when you can get into trouble.
2: Um. Yeah.
1: Greg? I'm trying to think of unique, unique decks deck. I've faced. I've... I guess your Infect is pretty unique. You know.
2: No, he's got nine of them. How but can you be the only one, He's yeah. the only one that plays it. So. But I mean, it's not. He has nine. I've seen nine <laughs> different ones. I mean, I like to think my Tim deck is pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. the tapper. Yeah. tapper. yeah, deck. I like that deck a lot.
3: I think your build of the Chromat deck is very unique. Uh, I think D's build of uh, Sigarda is very uh,
1: unique. Uh, I like that decks are also unique to the players that build them. Yeah, yeah. it really is like a Freudian thing. Like your yeah. deck is built the way that you it's like a deep search into your soul. What cards
2: you put in there? It, I mean, no matter what you do, you can't escape like who you are at the root of it. And yeah, exactly. your deck will always show that. Yeah. Whenever
3: somebody has something that's like, this deck is all doors or this deck is all, you know, soldiers or something like that. I have a, you you know, a respect for that because right. it's like, it's like, okay, you, you appreciate the lore of the game. You know, you're yeah. a, a Melvin or whatever. A Vorthos. A Vorthos. 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 Yeah, yep. Vorthos.
2: All right, on to our next uh, question, or listener question. It's from Bruce. Actually, Bruce has a couple. He's at Brawlmac. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I was going to say Brawlmanac. I think Bra-
1: Brawlmanac is kind of cool too. But Brawlmac it's... sounds like something on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> at Brawlmac. All right,
2: take it away, Abby.
0: If you could only make a deck from one set or block, not counting commander sets, what would you choose and why?
2: Um, Ooh! Wow. wow. Okay. Well, um, mine would be Time Spiral, block. Time Spiral. I don't even know the cards
1: in Time Spiral. Well,
2: Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, Future Sights, They just have the most mechanics. It's the most complicated set ever Mm. made. Um, I think I heard once Mark Rosewater said that like before that block, the entirety of Magic had like fifty mechanics, and that block alone has like forty-eight mechanics. Oh my gosh! So insane. Some of them were reused mechanics from because right. it was a it was a it was a nostalgia set, but it, I just think it has the most complexity. And the other set I would say is Cons, and that's mm-hmm. simply because Cons is the only block with that amount of
1: lands. Yeah, and also a lot of legendary creatures that are very tight. Like it would be a very interesting game if you yeah, just had true, Cons. Yeah, that's true. Actually, you have to have enough legendary creatures. It's really about the wedges. Yeah, you know.
3: I would definitely go Mirrodin Besieged. Yeah, because it's got this card that... <laughs> that actually, actually, for a different reason, what? somewhat. Sure, Craig. Yeah, sure. The Praetors. The Praetors are some oh, of my right, favorite right. EDH cards ever. Um, like Elish Norn. Elish Norn. Though. Elish Norn. Yeah. Uh,
2: they, I think the Praetors are all going to get... Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk... That those are going to get reprinted. I hope so. I, I mean, think so. I think hope LHL's so and I don't because
3: I have it. enough of them that like I'm monetarily invested. But and then again, I love those cards. I would I mean, love to see more people. Don't you want to draft them? I would them? love to see them in the hands yeah. of more people. So go ahead. Don't you, you want again. to draft them? I would love, I would them. love to them draft deck oh with Elector out oh. in like multiplayer. Oh multiplayer draft. Yeah,
2: it's true. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do some Conspiracy <laughs> Modern Masters 2 yeah. uh, ma- mashup drafts. That'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to
1: uh, what Dragons of Tarkir is going to do this block. Also, because this is the final block uh, of this of, the, of these three sets. Um, I would also maybe say the World Wake block, but just because it would be really crazy. You mean the Zendikar block? The Zendikar block, yeah. right. Yeah. If you just got those giant Eldrazi. I mean, it would just be Eldrazi dominated. But then like, now I'm thinking like, wow, this would be really cool because you could like box it in a thing that's just like Rise of the Eldrazi, Magic of the Gathering. Like this is what it's about. You Eldrazi know, it's about is my Eldrazi favorite out. draft yeah.
2: set ever. I, I couldn't argue with you about it, be just pretty playing crazy. with those cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh next question from Bruce.
0: What are your favorite spells to cast in each color? <laughs>
2: <And> not <laughs> not just, just red, Jimmy. Jimmy, I like how he knows you. You were only going to say red spells, but now you can't. Ha <laughs> I don't know if I can we'll go, through go through every, hybrid, color? every color. Yeah. will um, just say some favorite spells to cast then.
1: Yeah, okay. Cyclonic Rift. Oh That's yeah.
3: That's
0: a good
1: one. Uh Hercules Recall if I'm going to go for Hercules Recall. Yeah, that wow. card is I didn't see that coming. When it really works, that card blows the table apart. Um Demonic Tutor? Uh Yep. Yep. Um what else? Uh, uh Oh, I went into black you guys I can't are Can't just say red? Shieldred? Shieldred. You know, I will say Insurrection. That's my one red card that I'm going to say That's a it good is, one. it's yeah. the big daddy of the red cards, yeah. Like
3: the preators, any one of them. The yeah. blue one, if you have 10 mana, is just bonkers. White one, everybody else's creatures get minus two, minus two.
2: Yeah. Um, Wheel of Fortune. Ah, uh, yep. Okay. Because it has this simultaneous feeling of, like, I draw a bunch of cards, but also everybody else at the table goes, ugh, yeah, because certainly I just it. ruined everybody's plans yep. at the yep. same time. yep, yep. Yeah.
3: Especially on the build-up, like, before you have, uh, my mana, you know, you're like, yes, you know, in three turns I'm going to be able to cast this, and, like, before that I'm going to cast this. And then it's Wheel of Fortune. What? What? Josh, Josh, you're not, (laughs) like, you're kidding, right? Dude, you don't want to do that. Like, Like, dude, Darth Vader is your father. I'm sorry, man. You just, no. (laughs) What is Wheel of Fortune cast to play? One red and how many others? That is certainly a red.
2: So you can do it on turn three. The best thing is if you do it on turn three. Sometimes you just mana screw people. Oh yeah, because yeah. you can just draw hand the seven card hand with no mana in it, and you've only dropped two lands, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like you could just randomly, which is not the goal of it. I usually You're don't evil, play it on Josh. turn three, but I like to play You're it on like evil. turn five or six, right when everybody's about to cast their like powerful stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna say Blood Moon. Then it's one of my favorite cards. Oh to cast. man. Yep, it's the that's, worst.
1: You took it there. We're going. I just stayed. You don't stayed hate with Wheel of Fortune like I hate Blood Moon. It's true. I actually don't mind Wheel of Fortune at all. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're always the person at the table. that's like, okay, this is
3: cool. Let's yeah. see what I get.
1: Yeah, everyone else is like, no, the best late plans have <laughs> ah, gone to waste. And
3: <laughs> honestly, let's not forget, what's your favorite like like uh, thing to cast when you're playing your commander, mm-hmm. your, your commander? Because yeah, typically true. you're. Deck is based off your commander. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah. True. You're like the only person that's not true.
2: Yeah. Like half my decks, I just almost never cast a commander. (laughs) Maybe not half.
1: Yeah. All right. One last question here from Bruce. And this one is this one's kind of cool.
0: Brainstorm a deck where the commander is replaced by a non mana artifact, but you can play any colors you want.
2: So you're we're using an artifact that's not a creature. It could be a creature. It just can't be. It can't be like I think it needs to be a not creature. Non non mana. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think there are options for both. But, What's the first yeah. thing that comes to mind when you when you think of like an artifact that's not a creature and not a mana rock? Scroll said. rack. That's pretty good because card selection. Yeah. It's but it's card very, draw. It's a very linear kind of thing. You, can well, build you, you, you want could. Well, your deck could be anything. With yeah. That exactly. Point. So it's not that. I was
3: thinking the indestructible one.
1: Darksteel plate.
3: Uh, no, the indestructible. All artifacts are indestructible. Oh, uh, 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 Darksteel Dark Seal forage. What I think. about chroma's uh, memorial?
2: Ooh, interesting. You That's can do pretty a good. Give your creatures like every yeah. ability ever. That's a pretty good one. I See, I'm mean. My, I went to like Ankh of Mishra, <laughs> which is like all lands do two damage to you when you put them into right, play. Right, Or Black Vice might be a good one. Yeah.
1: Black, oh my gosh. Could you imagine? <laughs> you
2: turn one Black Vice. I'm going to build like, I a I Jester's know. Cap deck. That's <laughs> not going to do.
1: That's not a fact, right? Oh, man. That's a really fun little, little uh, question though. Uh, I don't know, man.
2: I I of Mishra with a bunch of um, uh, land destruction would be just like, everyone would hate you forever. What if you could make a
1: land, your commander? What land would you make? Oh, man. I would do Vesuva. Just could be whatever you want.
3: Yeah, as long as it's in the battlefield.
1: Yeah. That's true. You just never go. You can opt not to go first. You can do like Ink Moth Nexus or Mutavolt or something like that too. Uh, Strip Mine. Strip Mine, yeah. I mean, Library of Alexandria. It's banned, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, there you go. artillery in the cat. Oh, that's Bantu. <laughs> Darn. Darn. All right, well, thanks for the questions, Bruce. Next up, we got some questions from Triumph. Is that your real name? Because that's pretty cool. You're at Historian327, which is crazy because my lucky number combination is 328. Well, not from that. But it's because March 28th. It's a uh, birthday.
2: My birthday, my birthday. It'd be weird if it was just March 28th for a different reason. Than just that. yeah,
1: like I just love March and uh, 28 was like an appealing number at the time. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right, take it away, Abby.
0: When you have a big old list of cards that could go in a deck, what are some tips for narrowing it down?
1: Oof, well, this could be a whole podcast. Yeah, um, I think yeah. play testing is really important. Just you know, pl- literally, but play you have with to narrow card. it down to test
3: it. So True. print them out. There are places that you can go online and print out you know, the cards or just rip up pieces of paper, put them in there, and write down the card that it is. And as long as you know what the card does, like, Wait, you know, I don't like think these guys is, are saying, play test.
2: Yeah, I don't think this is as far as deciding which ones to buy. Right. Well, I mean, it could be just like if you want yeah. to play test it, and you I have just a list think he means like, like I I want to include all these cards in my deck. How do I determine which ones actually go in there? And which I always just
3: stare places? at. Yeah, I stare at them and then try and like put down a list of which one, how many creatures, how many enchantments. You know, what where's my graveyard mm-hmm. recursion? What what does each card do? Yeah, and, I think
2: that's really smart. Yeah, what I do is I usually say, well, what's the deck trying to do? So let's say it's Caridor, and I need a certain amount of cards that are going to put things into the graveyard, or a certain amount of things that are going to get things out of the graveyard, or whatever. Like, you know, if it's Nekusar, I need a certain amount of card draw, and I need a certain amount of, you know, cards that do damage to you when everybody, or do damage to everybody when they draw those cards. And then I just want to have all those columns, and I want to see, like, how many of each of those columns Mm -hmm. I have. Like the Stop Hitting Yourself deck I just built. Like, well, I need a certain amount of creatures that do stuff if they get hit. Then I need a certain amount of stuff that hits those creatures. Right. And then I need, every deck needs mana ramp and card draw. I usually like to have at least 10 in each of those categories. Yeah. So then you start going, okay, well, really, when you get down to it, I've only got 10 or 12 cards that I really can play with. And then it's like, okay, do I want Swords to Plow Shares or do I want Mortify? Right. and you just start making those choices.
1: Also laying it out and seeing where the mana costs are could be helpful. Yeah. And also seeing if there's redundancy when you don't necessarily need it. So if you have all these cards that... Like token generation is really easy to just go overboard. Put all the token generators in there. But you don't actually need all of them. You know, choose the ones that work the best and have either the most modal uses. Like Lingering Souls, I think, is like an auto-include just because it has flashback. You know, that's way better than um, just trading two one ones for one instant you know like so make sure that you're optimizing where you can and don't be afraid to cut cards either and don't be afraid to think about those cut cards when you're playing with your final list and asking yourself should i have cut that maybe i should try it and you know go back to it but don't be afraid to cut cards otherwise you're just going to be looking at this list forever like be liberal in your cuts especially if you're trying to get it down to 100 just to make a playable deck and then from there you can ask yourself the questions about
2: whether or not you wanted one of those other cards that may be removed yeah, I really think the first, like, seven to ten times you play the deck, your your brain should mostly, even more than trying to win the game, be saying, like, okay, how does this feel? What do I wish I had in my hand? What am I having in my hand that feels like it's not doing a lot? And just making mental notes so that you can—and then it's not like you play the deck once and you start making those changes. You play the deck five times and you say, well— Every t- all five of those games, I wished that I had more card draw. Okay, yeah. I need more card draw probably. Or all five of those games, I wish that I had more mana. Okay, I need more mana ramp then. Or all five of those games, blah, blah, blah. So that's another way and a really smart way to continue to tune it. Yeah, definitely. All right, Triumph's second question, that's two high fives for you, bud, is...
0: How do you decide when a card is absolutely too weak to be EDH playable versus being specialized but playable in the right deck?
1: I think a lot of cards fall into the category of it's not playable unless it's playable in the right deck for Commander specifically because there's so many cards that are just based off your general. Like Land Sacking, for instance, would not be very viable in that many decks unless you're playing Titania. Yeah. You know, like it's much more useful in one deck than the other. Uh, this is, it feels like this always changes. It's its definitely dependent on the card and you just need to think about it in the world of the deck. And if it's just like a fringe card that needs another card to go off in the deck and you have 99 Singleton cards like then it may not be playable at all but if it's playable with your general and you know that you can get use out of it but it's just kind of weak in other decks then you have a card that is specialized
2: good i think you know by comparing it to the other cards you're thinking about putting into the deck it's like you said about lingering souls right right if you compare that to raise the alarm that's yeah that's the card i was thinking yeah then all of a sudden it's pretty clear lingering souls is just better most of the time You know, because in Commander, we're not so worried about mana cost. And so the fact that it costs a little bit more mana is mitigated by the fact that you can actually use it twice and cast it out of your graveyard. So, you know, that's what happens is when you start laying them out, like Craig suggested earlier, where you're laying them into like their little columns of like what role they're filling, then you compare each card within the column to the other cards in there and say, oh, okay, well, these three just seem better than the other ones. So I want to use only the best ones in each column. Yeah. And, Craig, if it says Infect on it, then it's playable, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. Our next question is from Aaron Glock, at a Glock. Easy.
2: It's weird because the seek in the K seem to be out of order, but that's, I know. that's was how that it your, is. That's that that's how it is? Yeah, no. I I'm sure you asked your question, yourself the same
1: question when yeah, you typed it out yeah, the first time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take it away.
0: How do you build a deck around its color weakness? For example, no counters or board wipes. This is artifacts. a very good question.
1: Yeah, artifacts. Artifacts are your solve-all for this. Um, in general, it is. Like like the big things like card
2: draw or sometimes just straight removal, like spine of ishsa or whatever. I think the three areas that you're going to be the most need for are board wipes, mm-hmm. card draw, and mana ramp. And card draw and mana ramp you need in every single deck and board wipes you need in almost every single deck. And yeah. artifacts cover you pretty well in all those areas. You've got... Yeah. Nev's Disc. Nev's Disc, Perilous Vault, uh... Oblivion Stone. Oblivion Stone. Yeah. Those are your board wipes from artifacts. You've got Mind's Eye, you've got, you know, scroll Howling rack. Mine, Font of Mythos, Scroll Rack, Sensei's Diving Top for you card You also have draw. Uh,
1: Consume the Meek, I believe is colorless. The draw or is it it's one of the Eldrazi spells. That's a board wipe. All is, d- uh, all is dust. Yeah, all is dust. All I think is, is, is dust. Colorless. Yeah.
2: And then you have tons of worn power stone, Thran Dynamo, Gilded Lotus, Soul yeah. uh, Ring, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt. Like a ton of uh, mana rocks, uh, Chromantic mm-hmm. Lantern. You know, we can go on forever. And yeah. those areas are just ne- necessary in every deck. And then like counter spells. Every deck doesn't need counterspells. Yeah. Exactly. So just there, because there you're in red... There are other ways to
1: counter, quote-unquote, their stuff without actually countering it when it gets put on the battlefield.
2: Yeah, you think of what a counter does. It just negates a card. Hmm. Well, Path to Exile negates a card, too. So does Swords to Plowshares. Right. Like, that's sort of a counter. In a way, it's just... It's, it's slightly, slightly narrow that yeah. it counters only a creature, and counterspell counters any spell. But, you know, those are the ways that you sort of simulate mm-hmm. that effect.
1: And in the big picture of this, too, building a deck around its color weakness, I think you just, in general, don't want to build your deck with a weakness that is easy to exploit that you can't appropriately deal with within your deck as well.
2: Well, it's smart to know that the colors have weaknesses, Mm -hmm. and you need to cover them. So if you're not careful, it's very easy to build a mono-red deck that just, Mm -hmm. if somebody puts an enchantment out, you can never destroy it. So you need to be aware of it so that you can put the cards in from outside, you know, from the artifacts, usually, that do those things. All right. Next. I, oh, oh, I huh? recognize this guy, too, because he... Oh, uh, yes, that's right. I think he's won before. You're going to get a second prize from us. Congrats
1: for asking a great question, MTG Mindslaver, at Nicholas Pizer. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right. Um, yes, you have asked this qu- I believe. I believe you have won before, so congrats. And the question is also a fun one. It is.
0: How do you tell a friend their commander is too OP?
1: Uh, I think you just tell them. Or, I mean... Or in a way that's reasonable, because there are, like, we've, we've talked about this a lot, like, uh, someone being too OP, it's like, at the same time, you're responsible for that person being that overpowered, and there are ways to build your decks so that this isn't an issue. At the same time, if someone is truly dominating, perhaps, like, the, the, the game too much with something, then it becomes a matter of etiquette and just sort of having civil discussion between you and the person... And that's a very, that's like a very broad area like I don't know how my, how I can really instruct you on how to talk it's hard to because else. you know
2: without knowing the people and everybody's personality I mean you literally the answer is sort of like it depends on the person that you're yeah. approaching but I would say there are some good guidelines one is it's really it's really gonna be tempting to approach somebody right after they've done the op thing that sort of made you mad and that's probably not a good time to do it because yeah, when the fire's hot it's just not gonna look like you're being reasonable it's gonna look like like if they just did something when Infinite killed you, and you go, your, your commander's too overpowered.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. It's that's hard to dumb. take you
2: seriously in that moment because you've just lost to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot better to sort of in a moment where you're not playing Magic before the game or or when you just see them someplace else and just be like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And just be... Then it's, it's very hard not to take someone seriously in that instance right. where they're coming to you and they're just saying, dude, you know... It might be a little too powerful. It's not it's not super fun to play against. Like yeah. you know, that it's I will take you way more seriously if you're not saying it directly after I beat you. sure yeah,
3: I would say beforehand is usually the best idea. Yeah. If you can see them, you know, putting it out and then you could be like, Hey man, mine like not playing that. I brought, you know, my mid range deck. I, I don't think yeah. it's gonna be much of a game for me.
2: Or like know. yeah, or it's like I'd
3: appreciate I don't have it a deck if you could play something else. Yeah. Yeah. Does or somebody just, like, else have a deck?
1: And, and it could and be like. that the commander's not OP, it's just that they're always going infinite. You know, you could say, like, how do you tell someone that blank is blank? Yeah. You know, like this goes goes across sort of everything. And and like Craig said, it's 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 a matter of just being like, Hey, I'm trying to test out something, or like, hey, like this guy's playing for the first time, or like, hey, so and so just doesn't want to play as much, and I really want them to play commander. So, like, is there any other deck that you can bring out? Or is there any way to uh, just you know, is there something that else that appeals to you as a deck? builder or whatever, whatever you want to play, that could also be fun for you and still offer you the chance to win the way you like to, but also you know makes it a little more fun for the people that are getting into the game right now. Yeah, But again, changes with every situation.
2: I think it the does, key though is to communicate with the person, yeah, be honest about it, do it in the right moment, but don't wait. Because what happens is if you say nothing, then the resentment just continues to grow, right? And when you eventually do inevitably sort of confront them about it, yeah. then you're going to do it in the worst manner. Like It's not good to be like, to just yell at somebody all of a sudden, To pants up, yeah, yeah. It's going to be much better to just take it at a reasonable time, at a reasonable tone. Just you know, tell them, you know, honestly, yeah. And but not in a moment of anger. Yeah.
1: It's not about the player. It's not about the cards. It's yeah. about the game. So just don't, no, don't direct your attention like you are a bad person. Yeah, like, exactly. You are doing this, yeah, yeah exactly.
2: You <clears throat> can, you know, I it's like to use phrases like, "Dude, I totally know why you play that. It's super powerful. It looks fun to play, but." You know, it's not that fun to play against. I'm a little, I'm getting a little bored of it. You know, yeah, do you think yeah. we can try something else? Yeah. Uh, I like
1: Mindslaver's second question because it is very uh, Vorthosy to his name. So the question is...
0: What is your favorite thing to say to get people either confused or on your side?
2: Ooh, a little Oh, man, uh, I'm scared to say things because you guys, I play with both of you all the time. It's true.
1: Reveal your secrets, Josh. Um, I'm, The things I, I do for this podcast. Notes.
2: Well, I think something that, generally works almost every time is and it works in poker too although you have to be less obvious about it is just seeming disappointed with the way things are going at all times
1: at yeah. all times yeah
2: Is just sort of sighing and just being like, uh, uh and every time you but draw your card it, of yeah you have to be careful there's a there's a way there's like a nice little wheelhouse where you're in but you guys have seen me do it um all the time which is just like you never are like oh my god this is gonna be awesome yeah you just never ever ever literally 100 percent of the time never do that you yeah. always are like okay. i
3: can't help it i wear my heart on my yeah skin. craig is the it. master of oh like oh my god when i get the card that i'm looking for <laughs> my face like lights yep. up
2: you can see craig and he starts looking at everybody's yeah. stuff and his <laughs> eyes are like super wide and his head's like Snapping, You know, it's not like slowly glancing at you. It's like, snap to that guy, snap to that guy, snap to that guy. And it's like, uh-oh, somebody's going to be in big trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm the exact opposite. I'm always, like, shoulders slumped, just looking down. Just like, oh, man, how am I going to get out of this one? And the best yeah. is yeah. when you get, like, from me, I'm like, how's it looking over there? And Josh, are like, ah, not
1: good. Because then, without even having to, like, say it yourself, you just yep. told the whole table. And yeah. everyone kind
2: of, like, it sits just in see- people's memories. Yeah, you know? and you just seem like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, oh, God, I <sighs> You draw your card, and you're just like, "Ah, ah, ah." I remember you said, like, I was like, ah, mana's not
1: good, and you had played the same number of lands as everyone else. Yeah. But it was, like, five colors, so I was like, I guess it's kind of acceptable that you can say that, even though you have the same number of lands, but, like, "Ah, whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just generally, I mean, I don't even think about it now. It's just an instinct, but it's like you just generally never at any point seem like you're in command. Do you do this in poker as well? Um, In poker, you have to be a lot more careful. Yeah, uh, poker will is different, call you and and it. acting strong in poker is oftentimes thing, yeah. in your advantage. So in poker, right, you have to sort of be a lot more cognizant of it because in in EDH it's almost never to your advantage to be to act really strong. Every right. once in a while it is, you have to bluster a little, but it's w- much more rare. Whereas in poker, a lot of times the right play is to make your bet. In the most confident manner that you can, because you actually want people to fold. Yeah, you're pushing people out of the pot. Yeah, you're not even necessarily bluffing. You just, you know, it's just better for you if they fold. Yeah, sort of like you had to walk head tilted forward as opposed to
1: backwards when you're playing. Both. Yes. Good, All well right. Put. Next question comes from Jonenho at at and Ho 11
0: How do you feel about stores having EDH FNM's? Do you think it will work, and how would you approach it as a player?
1: This is an excellent question. Uh, Helen Bregeau of the director of, I guess, I don't know. Competitive something play, or yeah. other. Uh, announced that F&Ms are gonna, you know, open to lots of formats. And commanders. Uh, a whole ADH, bunch of them, yeah. Yeah, is one of those formats. Um, Two-Way the Giant, all sorts of other fun stuff. And it's great. This encourages the kitchen table aspect of the game. It gets people together to have a good time together, which is good for just things in general, because people are happy, product is being sold, and the game of Magic is getting bigger.
2: It's tough, though, because EDH, I feel like, is not conducive to what F&M, as we know it, mm-hmm. is. You know, um, F&M, as we know it, is a place where you go, and it's not super competitive, but it has a pretty big competitive aspect, and usually there are prizes. You know, generally, at the end of the night, somebody gets some booster packs or whatever. And it costs money to, comp- to play as well. It costs money to play, um, and this is tough in EDH because... You know, EDH is built around the board game aspect and the multiplayer aspect. And there can be a real, like, a lot of feel-bads happen when you get teamed up on. Mm -hmm. And this actually encourages it. Uh, It encourages collusion. And what collusion is that's different than an alliance in the game. A collusion is if you, let's say the three of us, went to the store and we said, listen, they're doing four-player pods we're just going to team up on the other guy and make sure one of us wins, you know, yeah. because there are prizes involved now. And that hurts the integrity of what EDH is. And so I think the way for FNM to work, and this isn't perfect, but it's probably participation-based mm. more than you won. Because right. you can't say who won.
3: No, I think if, from the papers that I've seen of how these things work, it is largely point-based, and it's more... It's not if you kill five people fast. It's, you know, you get points for doing certain things.
2: Yeah, point systems are interesting, but they subvert the game too. Yeah. Because they change naturally. Like, because the way to play EDH, quote-unquote, naturally is to use the political aspect of it. Right. But that's in a game where everyone is playing the same game. So there wouldn't be collusion before the game. Like, there'd be no advantage for me bringing my three friends and just agreeing before it ever starts that no matter what, we're going to kill, we're going to team up and kill whoever. You know, it's saying that as if everybody at the table didn't know each other and never knew each other coming in and wouldn't have any reason to, you know, have any history together. You know, that's what makes it really tough. So point systems, I think are imperfect because they're trying to corral something that You shouldn't be able to corral, which is politics.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to make EDH a game that works in a competitive sense. Uh, That's That's why, quote unquote, fair. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, I think one v one EDH would be very simple to police and make sure it works well. Once again, to the but then it's not really EDH, is it? Yes, yeah, secret
3: it's, partners. If they add secret partners to it, you it's know, just hard to quantify the like who and do-
1: wins and how does that person win and can someone that doesn't that isn't the last person standing win? Because with a point system, that could actually be the case, right? Like you could have enough points potentially by doing other stuff that you're declared the "quote unquote" winner of a game. I think it. I think in a lot of ways, it actually limits the kind of deck building too. Because yeah. if you're really focused on, like for instance, the highest way you can get points is by killing another opponent. Then that's going to be the focus of all your decks, and it, you're going to have a very different meta than is previous. Like it has been maybe just established by just playing for fun at your local game store. So I would be very careful if you were in LGS that you don't mix the competitive with the social part of, of EDH too much. And I know there are people with competitive edges that want to play the game competitively. I think just as a player and as a store, you should approach it in a way that there's a clear separation of the two, and that you're not rewar- overly rewarding someone for doing something that may not be healthy for the store or for the players and the mentality that they have towards the game.
2: Yeah, it's just very easy to game the system when you start putting a bunch of rules yeah. and, and ways on how EDH and the multiplayer aspect works. I I, I would think participation based is probably the way yeah. to go and it may just be like if you play in 4 F&M's you get enough points to get a couple booster packs or something, you know. And yeah, that'd just, be that'd be interesting. You yeah. know, that's the way to go or, you know, but then people want the competitive side of it. You don't mm-hmm. want, like, you know, well, then what am I playing for? What am I even trying to win? So I, I yeah. don't know what the answer is. Uh, um, it also comes be...
3: down to, like, how much money can you spend on your deck to
1: now, like, beat on other right. people? Like, the money curve there does actually. You know, work.
3: because if somebody only has enough money to create, like, a mediocre deck yeah. and they're showing up every Friday and, like, trying to win, but they can't, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's much different when you're opening up the cards there and you have to build your deck versus when you are bringing... Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. but standard works, modern works, legacy and modern, works, yeah.
2: you know, but those have natural competitive ways that they're meant to be played because mm-hmm. I'm playing one on one. We both agree to the same rules coming in. EDH is just so much variance from that because now it's like, well, I'm playing, but if I can convince Jimmy. To team up with me, then it's a totally different game. And if I can, give, if I know Jimmy before I walk into the store, then it's much easier to do that. And so all of a sudden, like certain people have way more advantage coming in. Yeah, it's just it's a really sticky wicket. I don't know yeah. what the.
1: It's tough too because I think stuff like legacy tournaments fall into the same category. Sometimes people can out money someone else for something, and there's just yeah. other weird restrictions when you have an eternal format. Yeah. So I think it's gonna be tricky ground, and I hope I hope there are some success stories at local game stores. Hopefully, that, somebody figures
2: it out. You know, me yeah, I personally, really I don't tend to want to have any desire to play EDH competitively like that. I'll play draft or sealed competitively, and I play EDH with my friends, and you know, with strangers we meet. Uh, but we're not playing for anything. I think once there are stakes, EDH is kind of not a great format.
3: See, and I I yeah. know a card shop down in Santa Monica that uh, has been doing uh, EDH league for a while. That they you know they do it the point system, and then uh, at the end they do points for they do raffles and uh, you know give players certain uh, you know credits to the store for a certain amount of points, and it's worked for them for a while. And uh, you know I'm I love it. I love playing EDH, so. You know, being rewarded for playing EDH sounds great to me.
1: (laughs) That's right. So also, if you guys, you know, if you are part of a game store that's trying to do something cool and fresh and maybe is the innovative way to do it, let us know, because I I want to know. I want to find out, because I'm always interested in this sort of game design stuff and game experience stuff. Um, All right, moving on, we have a question from Mike Murphy at Gonzo Papa. I think that's my favorite Twitter (laughs) name so far. (laughs) That's pretty sweet. Uh, And the question is...
0: What is an effective mana base for a commander deck, and how important are fetch lands in the format?
2: Well, effective mana base, I would say that most people play too few lands. Mm -hmm. Um, I I see a lot or hear about a lot of 33 land decks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Out of Um, 100? Yeah. Because the old, 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 uh, old sort of standard operating procedure was one-third of your deck should be lands. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's sort of a little bit antiquated. And also, it's so bad in Commander to have a game where you don't draw lands. It's worse than other formats because our games are longer.
0: So in a standard game, if
2: you're playing standard with your friend or playing competitively even, at least if you get mana screwed, you're done. You're you're just done in five minutes. Like Mm -hmm. You're just done very quickly. In Commander, you can have a game where you're mana screwed and literally be sitting there for 45, 48 minutes where you just can't do anything. And that sucks. It's just... It, it's not even about winning at that point. It's just like, what am I even doing? Yeah, this like, is it's not a, I'm not
1: actually playing the game right yeah, now.
2: Yeah, so I think it's better to err on the side. And and my decks almost always have 37 to 38 lands. Yep, mm-hmm. I always do 36 to 37. Yeah. yeah, and every once in a while I'll go 36, 35, but that's only if I have a like 12 to th- to yep. 15 mana ramp cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So And even with 37 lands... Thirty-eight lands. I'll still have at least ten mana ramp cards. Oh, of course. So that yeah. means that almost half my deck is ra- is mana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then as far as the fetch lands part of the question, it's I just
3: started running fetch lands, and I. So if you're running like in my Rafik deck. Fetch lands are fantastic. I'm, a, I'm able to cast Rafiq when I want to cast him. I don't have to wait for my mana base to match up, you know, on fifth turn instead of on turn four. Um, so if you're going to cast your commander as soon as possible, like Jimmy, your deck where uh, you get your commander out and then you start putting counters on him and creatures cost that much less.
1: Oh, Animar, yeah. Animar,
3: you know, you like you want to get him out ASAP, Yeah, absolutely. and fetch lands are fantastic for that. Yeah. But, you know, in uh, in Caridor, I do have my fetch lands in that, but that's because I'm also running uh, a uh, Crucible pack- package that just helps me fix up my mana base if you know, a Blood Moon or something is thrown because I want that to be as consistent as possible.
1: Yeah, if you want to talk about Fetchlands, I'd say look to what Modern does uh, because Fetchlands specifically lets you look for a certain land type. So let's say Mountain or Swamp with Bloodstained Mire. And in that case, usually uh, you can get a mountain or a swamp, but you can also get, for instance, um, Shocklands. T- shock lands from Return to Zendikar. Well,
2: we can get dual lands.
1: Yes, and you can also get dual lands as well. So if you look at modern, they're always grabbing shock lands and stuff, and that really does help fix your mana base up. So fetch lands are important. You're not going; they're not going to be the dominating part of your mana base. But if you are able to search up dual land shock lands from that, and I think that's the most affordable and uh, well, the, shock
2: lands are dual lands aren't right. Dual and, lands aren't, but I think I
1: mean I think shock lands are the most going to be the most common option for most players
3: yeah. and there are also other unique uh mountains and forests especially right. and you know uh all of the different uh, basic land types there are special lands that they've made over the years that uh have those basic land types but you know have some other special ability as well so you right. can search those up
2: yeah i mean fetch lands are good how important are they for the format though i i feel like you know i feel like land is like I'm fine playing Guild Gates. I'm yeah. fine playing Refuges. You know they're just the they're just not great lands in general. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be played in Standard or the vivid lands or something. And stuff, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because usually it feels like Commander doesn't come down to that precise of like if I don't have my eighth mana on turn eight available to me, I lose. Mm-hmm. It's just not that kind of format generally. So being a turn slow doesn't tend to matter too much. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you want to optimize, fetch lands are great. Yeah, but a lot of times being not optimized is in your favor. Mm-hmm. I think because fetch you're land, less scary.
1: Yeah, and I think fetch lands are really just important if you're running like five color, because then you want to have the option to get the land that really helps you out the most. You know, to get that dual land. Yeah, he, the
2: great thing in in like Chromat is like something that fetches a Plains or an Island literally mm-hmm. fetches me any color I want. Yeah, exactly. Like yep. a
1: Bloodstained Mire can get you two colors that aren't even close to it. Like you can get Steam Vents because you can
2: get red yeah. with it. So I you mean, can, you can get Badlands. Underworld, uh, sea, bayou, mm-hmm. uh, you can get, you know, any you can basically get any color, yeah, with and, your red or with your black. So, yeah, and you need to get specific if you're running like a five color deck. All
1: right, Mike Murphy's second question is,
0: Where do you get your deck building ideas from?
1: I'd like to say I get it from a lot of, from, of it from Reddit and EDH, uh, r slash slash r slash R-slash-E-D-H, whatever, and R-slash-Magic-T-C-G, because cards pop up, ideas pop up all the time. I also get a lot of ideas from just you guys. Playing around new dudes has helped me just like think of combinations I wouldn't have, and interactions I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Introduces me to new cards. Helps me build a lot.
3: Yeah, playing with friends, uh, tappedout.net, my god. Like, tapped out, I've watched, I've looked at that so many times when I'm building a deck. Um, and then But that's just- when
2: you already started. how did, What gets you started?
3: Uh, gets what gets me started building a deck is you know I'll I'll find a general that I'm that I'm interested in and then the first thing that I actually will do will be go to tapped out
0: mm-hmm. see how mm-hmm. other
3: people have built it then uh you know if if I've played against it though with you guys obviously that'll play into it and when I'm walking around my local uh you know card store just looking in the uh, in the window and seeing what they got you know that's always interesting too so can yeah, it spark did. some ideas
2: yeah it's an interesting question I don't know how to answer it I don't. That was
3: actually how I got uh, into Grand Arbiter. I saw yeah. it at uh, my local it. card oh, cool. shop, and I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, yeah Holy I, I think mother. that's
2: how I, that's where I get my ideas, or how I start is like I don't actually actively. I I don't think I've ever just been like I'm going to build a deck. You know what I mean? Like I think I've always just like as I'm sort of looking at new cards as the new set comes out, or I'm looking at you know going through old cards, building another deck. A lot of times. Well, this happens all the time, actually, is like I'll be building, putting together a deck, like the Stop Hitting Yourself deck I Mm -hmm. I put together recently. And I'm just going through a bunch of cards, you know, and I just have this box of cards that are like cards I want to use somewhere someday. And so at the end of, like, I've got a list, I've got all the stuff I want to put in this deck, and then I pull out that box, and I just go through it and see if there's anything in there that I want to put in the Stop Hitting Yourself deck. And Mm -hmm. as I'm doing that, I'll be like, come across this card. And then there'll be some card like Arc Bond from Fate Reforged. Oh, gosh, Arc Bond. You know, or something like that, and I'll be like, oh, that card just came out. This card I've always wanted to use. Okay, put those two together, and then I start, you know, all the possibilities start swirling, and then yeah. I start going. It's a possibility you know, stone. Then I chase the rabbit hole from there. So I think that it's really just about letting that spark organically come Josh found this Planeswalker spark, and uh, <laughs> the
1: deck builder within him launched into uh, launched into action.
2: That's uh, why whenever that happens, I end up building the deck in like a week and ordering all the cards because right. it's, it's like, like, like a when fever that's, dream, right? Yeah, it's just like this flame, and it's this it's this fire, and it's gonna burn out really fast. And I just want I need to take advantage of it, otherwise. Yeah. Well, yeah. you gotta burn out the fire or your
1: wallet, one or the other, or both. <laughs> usually both. <laughs> definitely all right our next question comes from ken schlosser and this might take the title for my new favorite twitter this is name. an awesome twitter name it's at
2: cephalid sushi sweet <laughs> yeah. does it have a tide counter on it the sushi comes <laughs> with a tide counter
1: <laughs> yeah and it's delicious oh man I'm, it's making me hungry all right the question
0: should i invest in making one deck that i'm really happy with or diversify and make many decks that maybe aren't as complete I how, mean, much, <laughs> how much? How much
3: do you want to spend? Because if you make a few decks that you aren't that happy with, guess what? You're going to be spending your next paycheck to make yourself happier with the decks. Right? That's a really good point. So yeah. you know, like, how much do you really want to spend?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I like seeing it as like, don't if you're if you if you want to play commander, you're going to build some decks. Like, obviously, if you ask this question, I think there's someone in you is also going like, I want to build more decks so I have more commanders, but I don't know how should I how should spend. I'd say start off with one deck, you know, or start off with a precon and then go from there. Um, and or once you finish your first deck and get it kind of close, then I think you should start thinking about your second and third decks because I feel like the best decks, instead of making a bunch at once, I feel like the the way that you're going to make the best decks is or if you, is if you make a deck in one color pie specifically. You're going to want to make a deck in another branch of it, and I think that will allow you to diversify your commander portfolio a lot better because you're used to playing one deck and maybe you want to try something else out. I think
2: that's going to help you out. But there's this moment, I think, that comes for everybody, especially when you build that first deck where you're you're faced with the question, and the question is, I have a limited amount of money to invest in this hobby, mm-hmm. and I can invest that money either continuing to perfect what I've got, or I can let that sit and I can start something new. And that question really launch off is hard to answer without knowing what your personality is. But yeah. both are okay. You know, it's just what do you want? Do you want one very powerful deck, or do you want a couple? sort of slightly less powerful decks. Right. You know, and that's what's going to happen at first, and then you can have two decks, and then you, that question comes again. And <laughs> the question is, do I want one two powerful decks, or do I want one of these decks to become more powerful, or do I want a third?
3: And we can tell from the way that this question is phrased. This person's a spike. I mean, they they want one powerful <laughs>
2: deck. Yeah, and and I think there are advantages to having a second deck. And Absolutely. The, and the advantages are they don't know what deck you're playing, in. the advantage also is... Hey, listen, one deck's really oppressively powerful and the other one's not. Yeah. And you can sort of negotiate with your playgroup, or not negotiate, but it's an olive branch, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I beat you twice with this deck. Okay, I'll pull up my not so powerful deck. We'll have fun. Right. And no one's gonna like, no one and might hold a grudge against you for it. Exactly. That. It's like the uh it's like the pressure meter. Mm-hmm. You know, and you let some air out, so the pressure goes back down, and, right. and then you play your oppressive deck, and the pressure meter is getting back there, It's oh, getting see, into the I'm red. Gonna, I'm going to recommend yeah.
3: something else. I'm going to recommend go for the deck you want, make the make the powerful deck, and then with twenty extra dollars, make a black and green Glissa the Trader Infect deck. <laughs> uh, with non-foils, just basic instants and you know, and commons. You're a monster, Craig. You are a monster. You'll you don't have want two, anybody to like this you'll guy. You'll have two unbelievably powerful decks and that no you
1: friends. can just beat face <laughs> every time. It's okay. Gliss is my friend now. She's my best friend. <laughs> yeah. Here's
2: the thing. I actually believe having a, a, a deck that's not as powerful and playing that sometimes and, and giving that to your play group mm-hmm. actually will make your win percentage go up. That's right. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that too. But uh, I say,
3: I forget that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> never. We've got too much experience playing with you, Craig, to know that you would ever mean any different. Um, our next question comes from Jeff. Klutke. Hlutke or Kluk. Hlu- I could see it being pronounced a number of ways. It's a tough one. I yeah. don't know. Uh, but it, his Twitter name is uh, easier. Yeah. At Falcon Jeff. Um, and Millennium his, Falcon? Millennium Falcon. I'm, I'm just going to assume. So. Yeah. Or Falcon Punch, like Captain Falcon. Millennium Falcon's cooler. Yeah, it is cool. and, and <laughs> much faster. Uh, all right, his question
2: is,
0: how do you approach playing with different power level play groups? My meta at home is very different than my meta at school.
2: Uh, different decks is one good different way to do is, yeah. it. It's and another the, the way is just one. to make those sort of like um, those game time decisions as yeah. it were. It's just like, oh, this, is, this meta is a lot weaker. I'm just not going to play this card. Yeah, I it have just, it in my hand, and I'll just pretend I'm Or
1: yeah, or just if you draw it in your opening hand, you can Mulligan in a way that's going to con- be more conducive to a just less aggressive you know, meta or yeah, whatever it is yeah. in that case.
3: Yeah, always remember that you control if you're OP or not. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's true. You can just choose not to play cards. Yeah, right. yeah. I you mean, can turn your. You've done that. You can a few put a handicap. I can't on do easily. it. I, can't I do it all bring the time. myself I, to not play. We were playing this up. game with. Um, the guys from the Masters of Modern podcast, we played mm-hmm. them a lot. And I was playing my Nekusar deck, and I had all the stuff out that everyone was drawing a ton of cards, and Kessler's sitting to the right of me, and he's just having a ball. He has he <laughs> he has yeah, um, yeah. He has Reliquary Tower out. Oh, yeah. He has Consecrated Sphinx out. I'm making him draw, like, everybody draw, like, a ton of cards. Plus, I have Teferi's Puzzle Box out. So what that means is he literally has 50 cards in his hand. And every turn he exchanges that for the fifty cards in his deck. So yeah. he's seeing his entire deck every other turn, whichever cards he wants. He's just he's just having the time of his life. I'm sitting there, I'm staring at all the cards that will kill him for having all those cards in his hand. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> I'm just gonna he's having too much fun. I'm just gonna let him, let him be do this thing. Yeah, he because he
3: does love this game so yeah, much. Yeah, and it's too. like
2: hey, are they your friends? Because if they're your friends, then them having fun should be, like, that should make you happy. And if that does, then there are going to be times when you're like, you know what? They're having a fun. It doesn't matter if I win this game or not. It's, you know, my self-worth is is not tied up in whether I win this game of EDH or Commander. And it just feels so much better to just look over there and the guy's just having fun. He's playing all this stuff. He's doing crazy stuff. And you're Mm -hmm. just like, you... You just kill everybody, man. You do it. And the thing is, like, that's what brought me into the game
1: originally was that feeling, that sort of joy of being able to do stuff and doing fun stuff and doing the stuff that you've spent money and time investing in this deck to do that. So, I mean, I think I I love the idea of, Playing with a more relaxed meta because I think that just in general can make you a better I don't know a human being in general because <laughs> you get to you know have joy at other people having joy which is yeah, exactly. a beautiful thing I've
2: said this many times like uh, when someone's about to go off and the other people want to concede and I'm like don't don't concede let him do the thing yeah, especially man. if he's never yeah. done it before yeah. Or, yeah you know just he he came up with an idea he looked cards up on the internet he went on tapped out and looked at everybody else who built the same deck and he did, built it better and he's about to finally put this four card combination that he had in magical Christmas land in his head into play and you're going to concede on him come on what kind of friend are you man let him do the thing
1: yeah because if you were in his case you would want other people to let you do the thing as well yeah
2: it's like people want to like take it away from you they want to concede so that you don't beat them yeah so you don't do the thing so you don't have that pleasure why yeah why what does it cost you to let them have that well,
1: it costs you losing for but a you little bit if, longer yeah, than had you. Just, yeah, it's true. It is very. I just silly. don't get that.
2: Just just get outside of yourself for a few minutes. Like, I think
1: the the also the more you've played it just games in general, and you have those moments yourself, and you understand what it's like to be on both ends of the spectrum. I think you'll you will eventually sort of grow into that in general. I I feel like the more you play games, and the more especially stuff that's politics based, because you understand what it means to hold a grudge over a long time. You understand what it means to like sabotage something and. You'll understand at that at the right moments when to let other people have their candy.
2: Yeah, let them
1: have their candy. Yeah, exactly. Don't steal the candy from the baby. Come on, guys. All right. Next up, we have a question from Andre, uh, Andreu. Andreu Fernandez. I almost said it with a French accent at first, <laughs> and that was not correct. At a fairies,
0: what special rules would you recommend to set up in a group to avoid games becoming too long or one-sided?
1: I don't like special rules. I think it's all dependent. I'm okay with a special rule as long as it really makes sense and there's a good justification for it. For instance, a seven
2: player game, you have a two minute time limit. That's a special rule that I can live with. Yeah. yeah. Even when we played seven players though, we didn't say two minutes. We just right. said, listen, guys, everyone's gonna have to play fast, okay? Or
3: secret partners can also speed up games a lot. That's mm-hmm. true.
2: I don't know if that's a special rule. It
1: is a, it's we keep it threatening
2: adds rules. We're to gonna the game. definitely do a special partners like episode. Yeah, secret partners for yeah, sure. I- it's I, here's awesome. the thing: I think of as special rules, though, It's just like sort of fly by night, shoot from the hip type rules that you're oh, just right. making up. Like you go, listen, you're not a game designer; mm-hmm. your rules not going to be balanced. Like I just, in general, don't don't like. It feels like in the old like StarCraft days when people used to like play like I don't know if you guys played StarCraft, but there was always these people and they would play like no rush for 15 minutes only on this oh, map, right. blah blah blah. Like yeah. it's just not the game. Like, that's just training wheels. Like, it's knock true. it off. And in the end, that's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to learn to play in a certain way that's not how the rest of the world plays. And you want to be able to go to GPs and play with people if and go somebody... to local gaming stores or sit down with Jimmy and I someday, you know, if you run into us and play games with us. And if you're not playing by the same rules, we can't do it.
3: Yeah. But if somebody is dirtling, like, for 20 minutes while everybody else is taking their, like, you know, five-minute turns, it can that's be... That's not a rule, though. Right. That's a like, true. hey, dude,
2: yeah. it's not any fun. Right. Like, will you please just speed it up? Right. <laughs> that's not a rule. And I think
3: but yeah. like, is there anything that you can say when something like that's going on? Or like what can you do when it's about
1: having like-, like that conversation we talked about in the, the prior
2: episode, and it's just something you have to address with yeah. you just have yeah, to have that again, open communication. You need to do it at the right point in time. It's the same thing. Yeah. You right. don't do it in the middle of the game or right after they've lost or whatever. You just you know, you know this is happening with the same person over and over. Yeah. You got, you just go like, hey, listen. We want to play a few games tonight. Let's just make sure everybody moves fast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then when he's taking a while, you're like, dude, we need to move fast, remember? And the, then they'll usually yeah. do it. And that's the special rule is
1: that we can ask other players reasonably. It's not a reasonably, rule. Yeah. The, what's the quote-unquote? In the air it's an agreement. Yeah, it's an agreement. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's a player's agreement. Um, and I'd say the other thing is, like, there are some groups I know that, like, hey, uh, I have four friends. We've all talked about getting into Magic, but we've never done it before. We're all going to get in and we're all going to just limit ourselves to not, you know, no one can purchase more than like this amount of money just to see what we can do. And then, you know, it could become a competition in itself. Who gets the most value for their amount of money that they're allowed to spend and then see what you can bring to the table. That could be Ooh, special Oh, I like role. that. And yeah, you're like, right.
3: buy goifs. Buy, buy as many yeah, you buy one goyf and
1: just a bunch of basic lands, <laughs> and you're like, all right, spent my budget, guys. Hope I draw my goyf. Goyf <laughs> with a bunch of
2: basic lands sucks. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so worse. Uh, he's a yeah. goyf's in a general a an idiot. Yeah, Will somebody please catch something?
1: Yeah, I think if the it's special it? rules gives a uh, a playing field that lets everyone, you know, do something to the best of their abilities, and it's like something that's actually competitive and kind of that that's kind almost of fun like playing. a limited format. Yeah, it's you, kind of fun. Yeah, yeah
2: that okay. I don't hate all rules cuz that rule sounds cool. I really want to do that actually. I <laughs> I'll take the I'll put the game design hat on and quickly take it off cuz I am not a yeah, game. Designer. It's just constraints, right? That's a different I, I don't know. It yeah. feels like a different thing. I'm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah, but that would be careful the special rules because I think it's a slippery slope. It yeah, it's just
2: it it can be too much where it in it's too much training wheels and what happens is you mm-hmm. get used to that and it hurts you when you go outside of that little box that, you know, that little tunnel where you play. Yeah. You know, you want to be on the same page as what you know most people are, are playing so that you can
1: interact with them yep definitely uh,
2: all right the next question is from
1: x the underscore sack x uh which is i guess the sack hopefully the sack with out some right. x's with some x's yeah and that's the same as the twitter name and the question is
0: how do you deal with a play group that went from casual to spike while you are still playing commander just for fun
2: womp womp this happens this happens it totally it's, happens um it's it's tough. I mean, cuz one player who's a little competitive will push your entire playgroup towards yeah. more competitive.
1: That's just what happens with any kind of game. Like, even if you're like all just playing Super Smash Brothers, and one guy decides to take it a little more seriously, everyone else is going to get raised up
2: by that level. Or they're just going to get left behind and they yeah. won't have as much fun anymore. That's just I mean, I hate to say it. It feels like it's sort of the nature of games. It yeah, happens. It's human nature too. It's it to win. but it's
3: either like, "Hey, man, become a spike or find another play group." Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I,
1: I feel like that's the answer we're going to be giving. Is you may just have to reach out and see if there are other people that are playing at your level, or if you can find an acceptable way. And like we said, you don't need to be a spike and spend the most money on cards to be able to win at this game. Like there right. are other ways to be very invested in commander and just you could be an amazing politician and win games based on
2: that and that would be a whole you know separate i mean that i would have way more respect for and i think that that's that's like a worthy goal is to be like yeah i can't spend as much money as this guy but i can still win because i can do it with politics or i can Mm -hmm. do it with crappier cards or whatever you know uh but spike doesn't always mean spending more money it might mean a guy who's just willing to spend more time thinking about his decks and tuning his decks than you are and it's like in that case, you know, if you're not willing to do what that guy's doing or, or you're, you're that guy and nobody else is willing to keep up with you, then you need to find more like-minded individuals, I think. Yeah. Agreed.
1: Moving on. Christopher S. Bond asks
0: via email. If you had a chance to play commander with any three other people, alive or dead, who would they be? Bonus question. What commander do you think each person would play?
1: Interesting question. I'm I'm assuming that if you revive them from the dead, they would be able to play commander. Would
2: it be them at the like, the prime of their life, or you know, would it be? Them I think you can
1: choose when, right? Okay. You, yeah, you All won't right. get
2: them right before they're, they're they've died. Okay. Um,
1: Don't go for me first. I would. Well, Go ahead. I'm going to just say this. I don't even know that much about the person, but I feel like someone like Winston Churchill would be very interesting to play a political game of VDH with. It feels like he'd be really good at it. Yeah. Maybe he'd be, I don't know, a You Edric, could just do like
2: Trust. Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, yeah. Winston Churchill and maybe like Napoleon. Napoleon. If you just wanted to get destroyed. <laughs>
1: In different ways, mind yeah, you. I'd love yeah. to see a Gandhi deck or a, like a Jesus deck that <laughs> still manages to win without actually like inflicting bodily harm. <laughs> like he just plays like turn to frog a bunch instead. He mills you out. Yeah. Oh, and you end definitely up being on be his side at the end. As Una, well.
3: Queen of the Fae. So Jesus would be Una?
1: I guess so. I mean, we're trying to figure out what commander matches up with them. It could be really anything. It'd be interesting. I think you would want to go and find. People that you respected for either like military prowess or like inventors. Like, I mean,
2: the way we play commander is like we're sitting around and chatting a lot of the time. I might mm-hmm. not even care how they. Play I want to. I want to play against yeah, right. like John <laughs> Stewart, man.
3: Like, like someone interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah.
2: yeah, it might be like I don't know, like a great philosopher. Yeah, that'd great, be amazing. Yeah, just it'd somebody. be just so cool like just Einstein to see or, what they would know, play as well. Yeah, right. How they build the deck.
1: And how it's still effective in certain ways, or like how they. Who would Einstein play?
2: He'd play blue. Blue, is yeah. it Maybe he
3: plays something that would involve math. What what involves a lot of math? He'd play an artifact deck. Like, is there? An I feel egg, like he would CDH want to take. E- I feel like he would want to take. Storm.
1: Oh, storm. Yeah. Or he would be taking. Storm's extra, like the hardest. Okay. Thing He'd to be play taking correctly. extra turns too, right. for sure. He'd be messing with time and space itself. Yeah. All right, storm then. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I feel like you could just choose great military leaders or like Leonardo da Vinci. I thought you were going to say DiCaprio, <laughs> and I was gonna be like, what? Yeah, yeah Leonardo DiCaprio, just because I want to meet Leo. Come on, yeah, it'd da be, it'd Vinci be really would cool. just be
2: doing like altars to all the cards. Yeah,
1: and he'd be playing ornithopters and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, he would definitely be. He would focus heavily on Therese Nielsen art because I feel like that's very much in the world of his sort of creatorship and the craziness. do <laughs> uh, You think like Calvin would be.
3: Caligula? Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) Be a mono red. (laughs) Mono red? Yeah,
1: I I was gonna say Genghis Khan would be mono red, but I feel like he would just be the Mardu horde.
2: Genghis Khan would definitely flip the table on you if he lost. I know. Oh yeah, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, I feel like Genghis Khan. And he'd be playing with Mongolian cards. What if he didn't know what the card did? Yeah, yeah,
2: Rakdos.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All aggression, no regret. He has to play Mario Heart Piercer because that's the most Genghis Khan card ever printed. <laughs> like, and a bunch of P three K horsemanship cards too, of course. Yes. Uh, great question, though. I really like that. Um, but yeah, like Josh said, I would. I'd like
2: to just talk to them for a while and just put the cards aside, maybe. <laughs> It'd be cool if the game itself. Like, I think that would. Yeah, that would. I would go in that direction. People who I don't care about the game so much. I just get to sit the, sit at the table with them. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, our next question comes from Richard Blakely at Kirito552, which I believe is a shout out to the anime Swordar online. And Richard asks
0: What is the best cloak and dagger commander?
2: I'm gonna say Edric, spy spimaster. master of Trest. Yeah, he Without is the spy master, right?
3: Without question.
2: There, there you go. So many, That
3: was the quickest answered question <laughs> yet. So many <laughs> rogues in that. You'll yeah, you'll be able to equip anything you want.
1: Yeah, or there's also um, is it Lazav Demir Mastermind? Or yeah, the, the guy he's that? not as cloak and dagger as Edric. True, but doesn't he, doesn't he have a cloak and dagger in his art? I don't know, maybe.
3: Probably does, but he's not as cloak and dagger as Edric. <laughs> That's true. Edric is definitely. but And especially with, with Edric, you build it with unblockable creatures, and then you just draw a ton of cards, and yeah. th- that makes it untargetable. He's
2: the spymaster. Yeah, yeah, you can't spy get master, more cloak yeah. and dagger. All right, uh, next question. Have
3: fun. Unless You're you can make Whisper
1: silk Cloak a uh, commander. By the way, that deck
3: way better one-on-one or one-on-two than uh, in big multiplayer.
1: Definitely. All right, Richard's next question.
0: Are there any good black board wipe spells?
1: There's lots. Ready? Crux of Fate. Oh. Damnation. I was going to say Damnation. Uh, we're going to go with Decree of Pain. Toxic Deluge.
3: Good one. Um, Black sun Zenith.
2: Oh, man. You keep taking mine. Um, you you got in the bad seat because you're in the third seat. I know. I'm in Anyway, the third that's seat. a lot. We're, yeah, there are a bunch. Uh, damnation is
1: the most expensive out of all of them, but a lot of them are very cheap. Um Toxic Deluge, I think, is one of my favorites. There's
3: also, Toxic Deluge is one of the best. What's the one to destroy
2: everybody else's creatures? Uh, in Derek's Wake. I um, don't know. I think we gave him enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of Blackboard Wipes out there. Uh, you can also just uh, look up this on Google, and usually there's some forum thread on MTG Salvation or whatever that has this question answered in detail, but which is my always nice. My
3: favorites Toxic Deluge.
1: Yeah, Toxic Deluge is is amazing. unbelievable.
3: And any others that you would think like, uh, like a staple, like a have to have?
1: I can't. I mean, I think in Garrick's way, this is hilarious. If you can get it cast, just because it's destroy all other creatures and like, what's hey. the
3: what's the one decree of
1: there's decree of annihilation? Decree of pain. And there's decree of pain. Decree of annihilation. I think gets rid of everyone's stuff but yours.
2: Uh, which one draws you all the cards? That's for the decree ones? of pain. I yeah. think. Oh, decree of annihilation. Is actually Why are we red. still talking about? Yeah, that. which is red. Yeah, it's true, guys. We've <laughs> answered his question like thoroughly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right, next question.
0: Are there any good cards that synergize with Nekusar, the mind raiser?
2: Okay, I'm going to answer this one really quick. Episode 13. There's a ton. Just go listen to it. There's a ton. And they're actually in all five colors, as yeah. you would have it. <laughs> well, most of the ones that you synergize with him are in the right colors. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that is all the questions we're going to answer for now. So hopefully you heard Woo-hoo! your name. Again, email us your address at commandcast at rocketjump.com, mm-hmm. and we will... Uh, Send you out your prizes. So yep, 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 yep. Let time us know on. what.
1: Let us know what question you asked as well. So for or our questions, record, or questions, correct. All right, time for the end step. End step time. Cleanup phase. We actually didn't do this last week, so we got to do it this week. Uh, end step is a phase uh, in magic, but it's also a part of this podcast where we talk about stuff that may not be related to the world of Magic: to The Gathering. To the Gathering, but it is something that we're thinking about and we're interested in. Josh.
2: Uh, mine is going to be a podcast called Hardcore History because we talked Whoa. about Genghis Khan just a second ago and made me think of it. Uh, it's called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Go check it out. Cool.
3: I've been looking at uh, 3D printers. So, yeah, I've been looking at the uh, Ultimaker 2. Anybody uh, have any thoughts? Please uh, leave a, a comment.
1: All right. And uh, the cool thing I found this week was the Roli keyboard. It's R-O-L-I. It's this crazy pressure-sensitive keyboard That doesn't look like any keyboard you've ever seen, but it creates like it like makes instant Blade Runner soundtrack music. So if you guys haven't checked that out, there are some really interesting videos on that as well. Very cool. And also, I guess this is two weeks out, but the shirt is both white and gold and purple and black. So if you guys remember this, two weeks later, yeah, exactly. I'm interested to see the people that are still finding out about it or don't know about it by the two week period. So let us know as well if you just found out about this crazy, wild thing.
2: Rest, Rest round. Alright, everybody, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Quai. See you later, Alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>